0: The message will be coming from Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 5 through verse 9. And it reads, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth and i say unto you ask and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you access granted They're called tropes. You might have seen them before. They're a type of idiom or rhetorical device that kind of plays the interchange between the literal and the physical and the figurative meaning. You might have seen them. They're called tropes. It's common in movies, television, comic books, advertising, and even in commercials. Maybe it goes like this. My favorite tropes are the ones that hold suspense all the way to the very end because one character has been less than forthcoming with information. Let me give you an example. Uh, the sergeant of the police force will tell this to his deputy and say, you mean to tell me you could have stopped the bomb the whole time? Why don't you just tell us? And the deputy will respond with something like, well, you didn't ask. I like stories like that. It causes us to re-examine the entire story and think that it all could have been avoided only if they just asked them. There's a certain comical relief about people who didn't ask or even a sort of irony that a resource would be so close but yet untapped into all because they didn't ask. Jesus picks up on his irony Beginning in Luke chapter 11, Jesus begins the chapter in his posture that he's often seen as, in a a posture of prayer. Jesus is often praying and begins Luke chapter 11 in the same posture of prayer. He's often seen as departing from his disciples to go off and pray, going to a mountaintop to go off and pray. Or just early in the morning, Jesus is praying. But this time is a little different because this time the disciples have picked up on their Lord praying all the time. So they come to him with a request. Lord, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples, Lord, we've been with you for a while. We've learned. We've commissioned us to go out and preach the kingdom to the nearby cities. You've taught us how to exercise demons. And you've given us the power to heal. But as good disciples, they still want to know more. So they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples. So Jesus, one of the times that he doesn't scold the disciples for their questions. But he tells them, when you pray, say. He gives them the Lord's prayer. But it's a little different in Luke because Matthew's versions end with, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and gives you the ending of, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. But Luke's version goes a little differently. It doesn't conclude with Amen, but instead with a story. To give you a story that you should keep in mind every time. You pray. Jesus begins this type of hypothetical story, this situation with a question. Suppose you have a friend. Which of you has a friend? A friend. Not the way we use friend, but this carries a heavier meaning. Friendship back in the day wasn't casual how we use it today. A real friend. Not one of the 864 people on your friends list, but a real friend. Someone that you can count on. See, just followers living in a society where interaction between male and female was still taboo. You couldn't carry on and carry on and talk on with women, even in public. And also, relatives were different because the people who you were akin to might also compete against you for your family's inheritance. So that put up another boundary, but Jesus is asking about a friend, someone that you consider trustworthy, a confidant, someone you can be emotionally with and share yourself, you know, the ones you can depend on, a friend. Jesus asks him, suppose you have someone you really consider a friend. And you go to your friend at midnight. At midnight with a request. You say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. This is not some... Casual request, but it's at midnight. So there's always a sense of urgency of why he came at midnight. Now don't get confused. This is not a neighbor that he's going to. Not somebody who stays next door to him. Not somebody who they just live on the same block or they just work together or they sit in class together or have TNT3 together. This is a friend. He goes to him at midnight. Midnight is, shows you the urgency of the request. It must have been really important for him to get up in the middle of the night and go at his friend's house. Must have been urgent. So he comes to his friend and say, friend, I need three loaves of bread. Not because of my negligence, not because I'm lazy, not because I haven't taken care of my responsibilities or that I'm trying to mooch out of yours, but another friend of mine has come on a journey. They say that people used to travel at midnight or at nighttime to avoid the heat of the day. Maybe his friend is traveling by night and he stops off at a friend's house, but now he's there with nothing to set before him. So he goes to another friend of his and says, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey. And he responds to him this way. He answers from within and says, trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. Take your trouble elsewhere. Just don't bring them to me. It's the middle of the night. I'm alone with my children in bed. My door is shut. It's staying shut. Take your trouble away from me. I ain't getting up and giving you anything. All harsh responses, negation after negation after negation, all of this comes from a friend. You go to your friend and say, Friend. And he doesn't even answer the door. He answers from the inside, yells out, Trouble me not, leave me alone, get away from me. These are real harsh words. In fact, the language that he used we know some, we're seminarians, so we know about Greek. The word that he's using is, is for trouble is, Why have you caused extreme, severe, Trouble to come upon me, severe pain. That word is usually used for somebody who's being beat. Take your trouble elsewhere. Don't bring your labor, intense labor and your toiling. and don't put that upon me. Take it away. Leave. And this is all coming from somebody who you see as a friend. Notice his response. Get away from me. Take it trouble elsewhere. Don't bother me. Now, it would have been one thing if he would have said, man, I couldn't do it. I don't got it. Matter of fact, man, I need bread too. I don't have bread to spare. I can't help you. I wish I could, but I can't. I just don't have it. It would have been one thing if he would have said that. But he doesn't say At any of his excuses that I don't have bread to give, what he says is, I cannot get up and give it to you. But we know by all his previous statements that I cannot translates to, I will not. I can, but I won't. I'm able, but I'm not willing. This is a friend. After you come to him at midnight, I can help you, but I won't. Jesus continues on to narrate this story. And he tells him, I say unto you, though he will not rise because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth." Because of his importunity, some translations read, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Persistence. That's depending on the word you use. shows how you will view this text. We like the word persistence, right? That's the word we use to persevere, to stay in continual pursuit. We like persistence. We're Americans. We're in the land of opportunity. Everybody's given the life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And since we're in the land of opportunity, if you stay persistent enough, you're going to make it. We tell people if you work hard enough, if you stay at it, keep on going. Never give up. Stay up all night if you have to. If you persist at it, you're going to make it. Isn't that the secret to all the entertainer success? Just watch MTV one time. Whenever you have a singer or artist or producer, and they say, how did you make it? And they always say, I kept on going. Never gave up. Didn't take no for an answer. Whenever there was a door shut in my face, I just kept on persevering. We like persistence so we tell, these, we tell each other and we tell ourselves if we continue to persist it's going to pay off it's going to work out we'll we'll achieve success we like persistence but just one question this is a parable right and parables as Dr. Gloria if you taken TNT3 or Texas Communications then you know this Parables hold the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And if this parable contains in it the mystery of the kingdom of God, then we have one question. Does it really pay to persist God? Does persistence, is that how the kingdom works? Take a moment to think about it. Is God a rewarder of those who constantly persist. Does God, does good things come to those who persist? Is God waiting on you as a man to say, I need bread, I need bread, help me, help me. Keep on and stay at the door and won't leave after the man is answered from the inside. Is God waiting on us to continually persist? Is God the man on the inside who yelled out, look, I can't help you. And he, does he want us standing at the door saying, help me, please. Come on, I need bread. Help me. Come on, Lord, please. I'm calling you. I'm asking you. I'm going to stay here all night until you give me the bread. Is that the image? That's one of comparison. But maybe this is not a parable of comparison. Maybe this is one of contrast that if we really contrast the man in the story with God, that we really get the mystery of this parable and really come forth with the mystery of the kingdom of God. When we contrast a parable, we got a different image. We know and translate that word as more, not as persistence in a positive sense, but as importunity in the negative sense which means more to harass or to continually beg and begrudge over and over again until something happens. If you're a parent, then you might know how this persistence works. You ever have a child who catch you in a store and they see something that they want so they just constantly over and over, can I have it, can I have it, can I have it? You said you was going to give it to me. You said in the car that we'd get this, and you're like, no, can we wait? No, Dad, you said you said, Mom, you was going to give it to me. You're like, fine, take it, get it, just to shut them up. Or if you have a, a friend who's like that, who will always remind you, you said you'd do this. Or no, 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 we're going into ministry, so you might have some church members like that will always remind you, Pastor, you said that you was going to come to our meeting on Friday nights and they keep on reminding you over and over and over until one day you just say, Fine, I'll do it just to get them off your back. Is that how God works? Do we have to persist God? No. Jesus gives us the contrasting picture. And he gives us the final word and he tells them, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Jesus is aware of this sort of interplay between asking. That there are those who really view God that way. That you have to stay on God. Persist him in order to get him to sort of bend the arm of God till he says, Fine, I'll do it, take it. Jesus, right before he gave them the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he talked about the story of pagans and people in the surrounding culture that felt that if I just pray long enough, if I babble on and on, if I use lengthy words, that somehow God will hear me and answer my prayers. Jesus is cautioning us, don't be like them. Don't be like the culture. American culture might work and tell you that if you persist and stay at it, that you're going to get it, but not the kingdom. Kingdom doesn't work that way. You can't pray long enough, pray hard enough, and faithful enough that you can twist the arm of God and bend his will towards your life. It's not the way the kingdom works, but Jesus Gives us a different way. He tells us this. Ask. For those who want to receive. Ask. If you would just look at it in the Greek. It will be even more simpler. The words just go like this. Ask and receive. Seek and find. Knock and open. Simple as that. God is no man, cosmic, heavenly grouch that you have to knock and beat down and say, Lord, remember me, come again. I'm asking you as if God's waiting there saying, if only you prayed seven more prayers. If only you send five more emails, if only you do this, I'm waiting to praise you and and, and waiting to bless your life. But if only you just kept on going and bugged me and reminded me and kept me on top of it. No, God ain't like that. Jesus tells you that because of who I am, because of the ministry that I'm inaugurating here on earth, because I'm bringing God and humanity back together in reconciliation that all you have to do is just ask and it shall be given unto you. Don't get caught up in the pagan ways of doing things or where you have to persist and stay on top of God and treat him like he's one of our friends or one of how America works that you have to work hard, stay on top of him, and stay on, stay on God, keep him on a job, and remind him. But no, God is a loving God, one who pays close attention to your life. He knows how many hair follicles are in your head. He knows what you need before you even ask him. A God who's so close and who dresses the lilies nice in the field that's here today and gone tomorrow, a God who pays that much attention to your life, if you want something for him, all you have to do is ask and it shall be given unto you. If you want to find something, all you have to do is seek. And if you want the door open, all you have to do is knock. That's the simple message that's so mysterious to the kingdom. Because everything around our culture and the other culture during Jesus' day, tells us it's on us, that it's on us. We are pretty much in control of whether or not God acts. But Jesus says, all you have to do is ask. I like childhood. I loved my childhood. I mean, I was a bad little boy, and I loved being a bad little boy. (laughs) For me, there was nothing cooler than growing up being a bad little boy. I mean, you was hyped up off Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, and you just felt invincible, just running around the neighborhood doing anything you wanted, just bad for no reason. I loved it. Man, one of the movies that really brought to mind and really captured how fun it was being a bad little boy was one of the movies of my childhood. It's called The Sandlight. Some of y'all may have seen it. Y'all remember the lines from the movie? I I I still remember them. I remember the line where he says, The great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the king of crap. I love that movie. And and if you've seen that movie, then you know this. They were all baseball players, so the mother of all insults was this. When he said, You play ball like a girl. And... Oh, boy, he was ready to kill somebody over somebody saying that to him. I love that movie. If y'all haven't seen it, it's about a boy who moves to a neighborhood, and he's desperate to make friends. He's one of those stay-in-the-house type boys. And he don't go outside for nothing, but his mom sends him outside because he's one of those just socially awkward boys, so he's desperate to make friends. So he meets up with a group of guys in the neighborhood who play baseball. And they uh, say, okay, well, we need a ball. So he says, his name is Small, so he wants to make friends. So he goes and grabs a ball off his dad's shelf. And they play with that ball. The problem is they hit the ball over the fence. And not just any fence. It's the fence where when balls go over, they don't come back. It's the fence of mean old Mr. Myrtle. And Mr. Myrtle is not the bad guy, what keeps it so scary. It's because it's the yard of the beast. The beast is this 300-pound, 20-foot-tall mask and with drool and uh, that's the beast. They hit the ball over that fence, and when balls go over there, they don't come back. But there's a problem. He got, Smalls got the ball from his dad's shelf. And he says, we've got to get that ball back because a lady gave it to my dad, a lady named Ruthie, Ruthie Babe. Turns out the ball was signed by Babe Ruth, so they got to get this ball back. So they go through all these schemes to get this ball back. They lure a guy down from a bungee cord. (laughs) They grab a little stick to try to get, get the ball and scoop it over the fence, but the beast takes a stick and almost pulls him in and almost kills him. They even build a robot, and they send the robot over into the yard, but the beast destroys the robot and then tosses it back over the fence. They go through all these schemes to get the ball back. But then they decide, we got to get it back. So they, one guy jumps over the fence, almost gets killed by the beast just to get the ball back, but he succeeds. So they go to Mr. Myrtle. <laughs> Mean old Mr. Murder, the owner. So they knock at his door and he comes out and says, you know, it's James Earl Jones so he has dark shades on and you can't see his eyes and he has that voice. You know, he said, was that you all making all that ragged? (laughs) And they're like, sir, yes, uh, see our ball flew over the fence and we just had to get it back because it was signed by Babe Ruth and it's my dad's and he would kill me if I didn't get that ball back. And mean old Mr. Myrtle looks at him and he says, why didn't you just ask me? I'd have gotten it for you. That's how we view God. As God is mean old Mr. Myrtle. When all along he's there right along saying, if you would just ask. Jesus isn't telling us anything that he himself didn't live out. All throughout his ministry, people will stop and ask him things. We meet earlier in, chapter, in the Luke of a man who's filled with leprosy and he spots Jesus from afar and he comes to Jesus, puts himself at his feet and says, Lord, if you're willing, you are able to make me clean. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you know who I am? I'm not only able but I'm also willing and he stretches out his hands and touches him and he cleansed of the leprosy our Lord is showing us all you have to do is ask but there was also a woman who was seeking after Jesus while Jesus was on his way to heal the ruler of the synagogue's daughter while she was on the dying bed this woman sought after Jesus and she interrupted him on his way to heal somebody else and tugged his coat And she stumbled away after she was healed for fear. And Jesus tells her, daughter, come here. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus is telling us all we have to do is ask. But the final illustration that Jesus showed us was my favorite. Jesus' hands plastered to one side of the cross and the left hand to the other one. And he's hanging there. Thorns in his head, blood running down, wounds open, bruised, axe fixation, shortness of breath, he's dying. And one guy leans over with a request Lord, remember me. He asked Jesus if there was any moment that Jesus would have been justified in saying, Man, I'm busy dying trying to save you. That moment, he says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus, while steady losing breath, losing air, about to suffocate, muscles up enough strength to tell him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You have enough faith to just ask. That's what the parable is teaching us. All we, if we would just ask. But, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless griefs we bear, all because we do not carry everything, everything to God in prayer. Amen.